Heavenly Father, this meeting is useless without you. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they that build it, build it in vain. So God, we don't want to build a seminar. We don't want to build an experience that is not Jesus' doing. So Lord, we need you to take the reins of Cali in my mind, the heart of every person here, and we ask and invite your spirit to baptize us anew, to guide us into all truth, and to increase and inspire a deeper love for your word. And to be faithful is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as Callie mentioned, we'll be doing our Bible study method structure. For those of you, this is your first time in the seminar. Basically, we'll talk about a Bible study method, which today will be the journalistic method, one of my favorites. So I get to tell, and Callie gets to provide the texts. Next, we'll do some method practice. So you're actually going to study the Bible in this seminar. You're going to be able to apply it, and you're going to have the tutoring and the tutelage of Kali Buruchara, and she'll be able to guide you into wisdom. <laughs> and then after that, we'll come back, and Kali and I will share our insights of using this Bible study approach to the text and the passage. And then we'll do our five questions in five minutes, and then we'll close. Now, that five questions in five minutes, is this on? Oh, thank you. Uh, here's a QR code or link. You can scan this right now or go to that. Uh, URL, go ahead and take a picture of it if you haven't already. You can submit questions throughout the seminar. And then uh, Callie will be our resident vicegerent to <laughs> sort through those questions. Make sure they're appropriate um, and, uh, for our seminar. In three, two, one. And now we're going to get to our Bible study method. Is this, am I too far? Okay, I'll stay close. Okay, so let's talk about the journalistic method. So a lot of times when we come to the Bible, people don't recognize that a big part of communications and journalism is grounded so much in textual analysis, but also on a three-dimensional level. Who was there? Where were they? What angle were they facing? Which window were you in? All of these elements are present in journalism that's not always reflected in how we approach the Bible. We just know that Eutychus fell out of the window. That's all we know. Oh, there was a story about Paul preaching so long, a guy passed out and fell out the window. Well, journalistically, a journalist is like, wait, but how did that happen? Who was there? And what was he talking about so long? So we want to zero in on detail, but your goal is to get to what's the real story here. That's what a journalist does. A journalist has no desire just to tell you facts for facts. They want to tell you why all of those facts are significant. And one of the heart of journalism is something we call don't bury the lead, which means if this is the crux of the story, you start with that. So just this morning, I read a news heading of 14-year-old shoots his sister over alleged argument about Christmas gifts. True story. Well, you're going to want to know what that story is. How did you end up shooting your sister on Christmas Eve over Christmas gifts? Kind of crazy. So moving forward. Yep. Thank you. So first of all, in the journalistic method, you want to look at who is in the text. So I recommend piece of paper, notes, phone, tablet, whatever you use, 
And I like to just go through the text and write down every single character, every single proper noun in the text and every single noun in the text. Anything that's a subject of a sentence. So who are the people in the text? What is said about the people? What do the people say? Who is this person a group of and who is this person connected to? What do they, and we'll get into this in other elements, what do they do in the text, et cetera, et cetera. But Callie is going to provide us some textual illustration. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to practice on these four verses. The Bible says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So verses one through four, someone tell me one person. Herod, okay, who else? James? John? Jewish people, Peter, the church, soldiers, God, yeah, yes. So all these, all these people. Those are four short little verses, but these are all these different people who are in here, and seeing these from different perspectives. He seeing these, all these different characters moving together. There is so much that happens at one time. Now, remember these people as we go into the next questions, because these are the people that are going to be doing things or having things done unto them. But these are the different perspectives we need to keep in mind. So go ahead, Sebastian. All right, so let's go to the next. So now a journalist not only wants to know who are the characters and the players involved, but what are the events? What's happening? So we go from who to what. So this is where you list down and I like, if you want to get really granular, like I'm a detailed person, I like literally track down every verb in the text, any action that ever took place. But if you're not like that, like me, what are the events, right? God's, God created light, God created the, the atmosphere, whatever. What happens to the characters, what's wrong with this picture is a very, very critical question to ask about what's happening. Is this what's supposed to happen? What is going on on a small scale? So again, you get very detailed what's happening on this, but what's going on on a large scale? Where does this fit into the broader picture of salvation history? So for different characters in the Bible, we may look at it only in a granular sense like Job, but not realize on a large scale, this argument between him and three friends actually had eternal implications just because of a conversation or a debate you had with a couple of your friends. So this journalistic method helps you to list these things out. Same text, Acts 12, 1 through 4. Let's look at verse 3. What's the first thing that happens in verse 3? The Jews were pleased. Why were they pleased? Because, because, because what? Yes, because James was killed with the sword. Okay, so that's the first thing. So the Jews were pleased. So then what happened? Yeah, so he's proud. So then he proceeded. He, further, he seized Peter 
also. Then we have the detail about when it was. So we have these two events, so the Jews are pleased. You're like, oh, sounds good, right? Jews are happy. Well, <laughs> why are the Jews so happy? Because James was killed. That makes the Jews happy. Mm. James being killed made them happy. Like, okay, so then what does Herod do? Herod's like, well, I'm glad that made you happy. I'm going to take Peter. I'm going to take somebody else. I'm going to take this a step further. And so seeing how all these people interact, like Herod is being manipulated by what the Jews are pleased by. Herod isn't like, I'm going to set up a great rule and I'm going to get all these people who are hurting others. I'm going to put them behind bars. They're just like, oh, you like that? Wait till you see this. <laughs> He's being motivated by what these people are pleased by. Mm. And again, that's just by what happened and what order, what caused it. Asking these questions helps us bring that out. Amen. Next principle is when, time. So one of the critical things in the Bible is timing, the sequence of events. You can do this actually on a broader scale of a whole book, the order of events in the entire book. Sometimes books are not written in chronological order, like guess which book? The book of Daniel. So when he puts them in what order is important. So what happens next, what previously occurred, and what order do events unfold? What time of day is it? What part of the year is it? That's an important question. So each of these things, again, bring to bear on the situation and can highlight in that previous slide which, what's wrong with this picture. Sometimes it's not the event. Sometimes it's the timing. Verse 1 in chapter 12, it says, Now about that time. So we have to look earlier. When is that time? Let's go back to the previous chapter, a few verses. Verse 27 of chapter 11. And in these days to prophets came... From Jerusalem to Antioch, then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great what? Famine, Famine where? Throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So a famine is coming. People are coming together to be able to help the brethren. Mm. And about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. When it rains, it pours. Right. So there's a famine. You're, you're trying to help people, trying to pull together. And then this king is just, you know what? You know what I want to do right now? It's just a nice little pleasant day. I'm just going to harass the church. I'm just going to, and you actually, I killed one of you and it was good. Let me, let me take another huge leader from the church. How about we just keep going? Mm. So that the timing of this isn't, it's, it's not just, oh, everything's great. We, sometimes we think about the, the church in Acts of like, man, they were just so faithful and everything was so great. They were just planting churches left and right. Everything was so wonderful. This does not sound like a wonderful Wednesday afternoon to me. <laughs> There's a famine in the land. We have lost a huge pillar of the church. And then Herod went and took another one. And there's no reasoning with this guy because he just likes to do whatever the Jews are pleased by. Mm. And so knowing when these things happen, what else is happening right now? What does it mean about that time? And even further, verse 3, it was during the days of unleavened bread. Mm. This is the time where we should be afflicting our souls and searching closer and closer to God. But this is the time that James was just killed, and we put Peter... We're not going to kill Peter, though. We're not terrible people. We'll just, like, hide him away and kill him a little bit later. So during the times where we should be drawing near to God, we're doing the very things against his kingdom. Mm. This is the when 
of the situation in just these four verses. Amen. Next one is how. So in what way did the events occur? So when you, you say who, what, where, right? We haven't necessarily got to location yet, but when? So the timing, the events, the people, but how things happen is also important, which it also involves the five senses, right? Touch, taste, hearing, sight, smell, and how did the events impact people? What were their reactions? So this is where we get into even some of the emotional responses in the text. The Bible doesn't always tell you, hey, she was really broken at that point, or this person was really discouraged. Sometimes it tells you that. Other times, it's not explicitly stated in the text. So you also got to think about, wait, how did this happen? And how were these people impacted by this action? I will not make you go through verse 2 with me. <laughs> we'll look at verse 4 instead. Acts 12, verse 2. So when he had arrested him, Herod had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of what? Soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, I don't know much about you. I have not been arrested with... Uh, four squads of soldiers, so I don't really know what that's like. But we get a little detail about it in verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So I'm thinking about, okay, so I, James was just killed. I was clearly taken as Peter to be killed, but they're not doing it because there's there's some things going on, and they just don't want to ruin the festivities. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm chained between soldiers the night probably before my death, and I'm sleeping there between people who are chained to me to make me not escape. Mm. Now, I'm one of those people who I can't have, like, my personal devotions when there's somebody else in the room. Because I can just, like, feel them there, you know? I'm just like, I'm trying to be with Jesus. Why are you here? <laughs> like, even if they're far away. So that, that's the kind of introvert I am, right? So it's like, man... I'm like facing certain death, surrounded by enemies, in a prison, chained to people. How, how am I supposed to have the peace of God mm. in this situation? Like, how is this my experience? What is, what is this like? And again, it goes, I mean, God, God gave him such peace. He was asleep. Mm. He was asleep before certain death. Every single data point pointed to when you wake up, you will die. But he, he was asleep. Passed out. So how, this is the experience he was having. This is how I would have experienced it. But the peace that he had, that is something, because again, we serve the same God, don't we not? Amen. But that is the kind of peace that can have you sleep, surrounded <laughs> by people who are against you, certain death facing you in the morning. But that is your experience. Amen. All right. Now we get into the where. You know, location makes so much difference in a biblical story. So when the Bible talks about when Jesus said, I am the Christ, he actually said that in a heathen land, surrounded by idols. So why would he choose that place in Caesarea Philippi to reveal the fact to his disciples, I am the Christ? You couldn't do that in Jerusalem? You couldn't do that in Galilee. You couldn't do that in Nazareth. But now that we're in a heathen land, people worshiping all kinds of idols. Now he wants to say, who do you say that I am? So location makes a difference. Where are the people in this text? Where did the action take place? 
And what do I already know about this place? It's crazy how many things happen throughout biblical history all in the same location. And to track those things down, they're important. Still Acts chapter 12. Let's look at verse 7. <laughs> now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone where? In the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. An angel of the Lord came into the prison itself. So many times we limit what God is able to do by where it is. We could have said, well, I mean, God's chance was to not let Peter go to prison, but God missed his chance. So clearly, God's not interested. Hmm. God could have helped him be, not go to prison. God could have helped him not be caught by the guards. God could, have, God could have done all these things outside of the prison. But once he was in the prison, I mean, it's game over. Yep. God doesn't have jurisdiction there, right? <laughs> and so the fact that the angel shone a light and rose up Peter in the prison, this is a place that God has done many miracles in prisons. We'll also fall down because of singing. <laughs> we know these things. But in our own lives, you might say like, yeah, well, I'm not in prison. I'm just in like a difficult situation. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> if I was in prison, God would be with me, but he doesn't understand how my manager works. <laughs> mm. There is no limit on God's jurisdiction on this earth. So where we are, it does not limit God, but sometimes it limits how we approach him. But God is able to shine a light in the prison. So remember what God has done in those places. Amen. All right. That, that, that was good right there. All right. So now we're going to go into practice. Um, again, we do have paper and pens if you need those. So what we want you to do is in going through the text in Daniel chapter 3, so take your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 3, and we want you to apply this approach. We want you to be a journalist about this event. Imagine you work for the Babylonian times, okay? You have been dispatched to this event. The king wants to make sure the media is present to digest what's taking place on the plains of Dura. He's excited to unveil this new statue and you are reporting live, but also you got to provide a report at the end of the events and pull this all together. What really took place? And so, who, what, when, how, and where? Search through it. Take the notes. About 20 minutes. 20 minutes-ish, okay. And we'll be circling around, so if you have any questions or you have any issues you need, just let us know, flag us down. But if you need paper or pen, just raise your hand and we can bring you some. All right, so we're going to come back a little bit and talk as we wrap up our session together. Were you all blessed studying the Bible yourselves? Yes? It's interesting, too, especially just, I mean, I keep saying it, but I just, I love getting new lessons out of familiar Bible texts. Like, this was there this whole time? <laughs> like, mm. I had no idea. Yep. Two things I want to draw out um, with the journalistic methods. So in Daniel 3, of course, and I want to talk a bit about who. So who was it who didn't bow down? That's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. <laughs> exactly. So last session was faithfulness, being faithful when no one is watching. And this session is about when everyone is watching. And when you try to, I mean, 
if you just want to list, we say like who, you just have to like write out all of verse two, right? <laughs> the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges. The, I mean, it's just like, okay, my, my wrist hurts <laughs> just from filling out that one question. Mm. But everybody is there and everyone is watching. But I was thinking about who were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, the free, like the three faithful Hebrew boys, right? But they were also a little bit more than that because of what happened in the previous chapter. So in Daniel chapter 2, right, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he is promoted. But also in verse, so Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also promoted. They were put over the affairs. They also were very, very important in this kingdom. And these are the three who chose to not bow down. Like, you're like in charge of people and stuff. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. everyone is watching you because of your position. The second thing that stands out to me in verse one, so Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's width six cubits, that is ridiculously large. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It was not, they, they weren't where they were, where were born, right? They were in enemy territory as it were. They were taken away from their home, then they were promoted, and there's music, like, bow down here. And I think about how, especially at GYC, right, I'm up front, like, people know who I am, like, oh, it's Callie, right? But, like, I have to be faithful here, because people can see me. (laughs) But I am a software engineer for a company, actually, funny enough, in Portland, Oregon. There are no (laughs) Christians that I know of on my team and my company. I can do all kinds of things, because, like, they don't, they're not looking, Right? That's not really the place to be faithful, like faithful at work. Like this isn't the weekend, this isn't Sabbath. And I, I, think, I don't think of my work as enemy territory, but I do think of my work as not a place that's a church. It's not GYC. Mm-hmm. I'm not surrounded by people who agree with me about pretty much anything except for JavaScript and TypeScript. <laughs> <laughs> like we have so many, there's so many differences between us. But this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, I'm just going to stand. I'm not going to bow down. And it was where they were that to me shows so much of their faithfulness. That yes, they were, like, they were in positions of power, they were promoted, but they were also slaves at the same time, right? Both of those things were true at the same time. Yep. But in this place, they chose to be faithful For me personally, it is so much easier to be faithful at a place like GYC because that's that's just the the end thing to do, right? (laughs) It's the the default. It's the obvious. But what about when everyone there is expecting you to do something else because they promoted you, because they've enslaved you, because they've pressured you? That's the time that you're going to stand. I want to look at the when. So the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up. And I want to pause there. So the question is, 
When did he build this image? So we talked about on that slide what previously took place. Where in the world did Nebuchadnezzar get the idea of building an image that had anything to do with gold? Anyone? Daniel chapter 2, right? And where did that come from? God, right? So God gave him the dream and God provided the interpretation of the dream. And he said in the interpretation of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the the head of what? Gold. So as he remembers the dream that God gave, and as Daniel interprets the dream, we are now in Daniel chapter 3. So this story actually started with a revelation from God. So God revealed Nebuchadnezzar, to Nebuchadnezzar the future using a symbol of an image of a man and precious metals. And says, you are just the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar took that and decided to make an entire image of what? So what is he trying to say? Is that reflective of what God revealed? So therefore, this entire story is simply the result of the perversion of the revelation of God. God reveals something to you, but you don't like it. You like part of it, right? The head is gold. God said that, but he says, no, but another, another kingdom after you and another kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, nah, it's going to be gold from head to toe. Babylon will never end. So in this time in which, why is Daniel and his friends, particularly his friends, in this situation? Because someone else who is, has political power, who can make laws, who is the government, is perverting the revelation of God. And that's why your faithfulness is being tested. When everyone is watching and he recognizes, strategically so, that if I invite all the governors and the satraps and all these different people to there, what am I adding to you? Pressure, right? I'm adding peer pressure, social pressure, and as Callie brought out, which many people don't recognize, when Daniel made them over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Guess who they were interfacing with? All these people who Nebuchadnezzar invited. So they all knew who they were. They visited their part of the province. They visited where they were the governors. They worked with the treasurers on the budget in Babylon. They were the ones sitting on the committees to approve. And now they go to the plains of Dura and they made sure it was a plain. There's no mountain to hide you. There's no, oh, he's on the other side of the hill. Is he standing? Is he... Is he bowing? There's, not, there's no geography to hide you. And so when you look at the, the situation and the timing, sometimes we have to recognize in future to the Sunday law, this is a result of individuals with political power who have perverted the revelation of God. God has revealed something to them. They've just perverted it by their own desire. That's the origin of popery. That is the origin of apostate Protestantism, and that is ultimately the future of what's going to bring us to crisis at the same time. Faithfulness when everyone is watching. When you have something publicly and socially to lose, which eventually will result in you can't buy or sell. But in this situation, before everyone. The last thing I want to say is about the, oh, sorry. 
is about the how. The interesting thing is, their faithfulness was not about doing something, but not doing something. Just remaining where they were. Think about that. So in, in chapter one, it was, I don't want to defile myself. When no one is watching, I have to actively restrain myself. Here in this situation is like, I'm just going to continue to do what I was doing. I was standing, the music plays, I continue to stand. So when everyone is watching, the question of faithfulness is, will you continue to do what you were already doing? Now that everyone is watching, I'll continue to stand. All right, so now we're going to take our last few minutes and answer a few questions. Yeah. So, Sebastian, first question for you. <laughs> I mean, I can help, but... Sure. <laughs> I once heard someone say that not everything in the Bible is meant to be applied to our personal lives. Do you agree? If so, how would we know when to apply a text to our own life and when not to? This is a great question. Um, we're actually going to talk about a method that helps with this. I think it's the next session. It is the next, it's session. the next session. Yes, we're going to talk about <laughs> something we call the interpretive journey, which will help this. So I'm going to kind of give you a little teaser for what's coming to answer this question. So when you study the Bible, it's very important to recognize similarities and differences between the circumstances of the Bible character and story you're studying. And by understanding the similarities is how we find the biblical principle. The biblical what? That applies to them and me. This is the same. Where there are differences is where there is nuance in application. So when I want to understand the principle of what the text is saying that applies to any person at any time in any place, then I find I focus on similarities. But when I find differences, this is where there is a nuance element of how I apply it versus how they applied it. So when you were a Jew and you sinned, what did you do? You had to bring a sacrifice, right? When you sin in 2023, do you go get a lamb? You don't, right? So what's the similarity between the two of you? You said what? You both sin. And you both have received a remedy from God of how to deal with it. And they both involve a sacrifice that you could not provide. So in this very element, this is where we get to the principle so that everything in the Bible doesn't apply to you because there's differences between you and the biblical audience. And that's how you know this can be applied to me because there's similarities. This cannot be because there's differences. Like, don't mix wool and silk. Like, doesn't really apply to you. Different situation. And it was for ceremonial reasons, by the way. Do you study one verse at a time, one passage, or one chapter? <laughs> The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Yep. Um, as I don't, you know, I don't know the, the mindset of whoever wrote this, but if I wrote this, um, it's because I like to do everything correctly. I want to study the Bible the right way, right? I want to do it the most efficient, the most optimal, the most Jesus lesson for moment ratio, mm. right? Um, 
a better way to think about it is, should you spend five minutes with your friend? Should you meet them at the cafe? Should you go on a walk with them? Um, should you ask them about their day? Should you actually just have them ask you questions that day? Should you text them later? Should you call them tomorrow and ask them how their job interview was? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Right? God is a person, and we want to have a relationship with him. This is not, it's not a formula of this is, if you press these buttons, if you study the verses in this order and in this calculation, this is how we download a relationship with Jesus. Right? It's, it's not that way. And so I say that, not to say this is a bad question, it's just, that's the way I would ask it, and it's, it's a totally fine question, but the answer is yes. You can study an entire book of the Bible really, really closely, so much so that anyone asks anything about that book, you're like, oh, I knew that. <laughs> like, mm. That verse is actually here, you said verse 5, it's verse 7, but it's okay, easy mistake. <laughs> right? You can become that right. person. <laughs> or you can just be like, I really want to study the words of Christ. I just want to go through all the, the gospels and just focus on all of Jesus's conversations. And you can't really remember if it was in Luke or if it was in John, but you remember the lesson. Yep. That's okay. It really, like, you can do all those things. Those of us who are not very detail-oriented, it's okay. You can experience it a different way. It can be more experiential. But yeah, pay attention to the details. Those of us who are like me and a little intense about the details, we can zoom out a little bit, <laughs> just relax just a tiny bit, and see more of the big picture, the great controversy of God's love. And like, you don't have to remember who Jehoiakim was for all the time. It's okay. You just have to zoom out just a little bit. <laughs> so kind of allow yourself to play to your strengths and allow Jesus to work on your weaknesses. And just learn to interact with Jesus as the person that he is. So you can study a passage, you can study a chapter, and you can study a verse. Yes, the answer is D, all of the above. Amen. Nothing there. All right. Where can we find your Bible study podcast episode? I have a Bible study podcast? Episode? I think they mean inverse. Oh. I'm going to guess. Okay. Where can we find inverse, Sebastian? Uh, I just saw Justin <laughs> King. Too. Yeah, we should have invited Justin up front. <laughs> uh, Hope. TV or hope.tv slash inverse, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but if you go wherever you get your podcast, if you just search inverse podcast, it'll come up. And um, or inverse Bible, in case it's inverse right. Bible is yeah, where the journal Bible. I think you can download. Yeah. But yeah, uh, if you search any of your wherever you get your podcast, inverse Bible, it should come up. And if you're like, what in the world are they talking about? Sebastian and I used to be on a show on Hope Channel called Inverse, where we studied the Bible with lots of lovely people, and we left, not because we hate them, but because we're doing other things now. Inverse is great. You should study the Bible there. It's excellent. Amen. <laughs> and I saw some people with some copies here. So. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. What's the difference between a lesson and a principle? A principle applies to all people in all places at all times. That included Lucifer before he fell. It will include us when we go to heaven. That's a principle. You will always keep the Sabbath. You will always keep God first. Is that not true always? For all people? In all time? In all places? Yes. A lesson is an insight that you get from the application of that principle to your situation. So the principle of the Sabbath, ironically, is not rest. It's imitation of God. Why should you rest on the seventh day? What does the fourth commandment say? For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water and all that. In the, and he did what? That's why you should rest. 
That's what the fourth commandment says. So the principle of the commandment has nothing to do with do you have a donkey, do you have a manservant or a female servant. The principle is he worked six days, he rested, you should work six days, and you should what? Rest. So therefore, the lesson may be for me, in my imitation of God, I should speak more patiently with my children, is a lesson from the Sabbath. But it is not a principle. Now, we can make a principle out of speaking kindly because the Bible says a soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. It's a principle, but that may look differently in your situation. So, again, that's the difference between a principle and a lesson. Beautiful. <laughs> Do you use two C's and two R's, which is what we studied last session, in conjunction with journalistic method? <laughs> um, so the quick answer is yes. I, I, I know. <laughs> so when, so I have two different um, things that I do. I separate my Bible study time from my devotional time. So when I'm having my devotional time, it's about worshiping Jesus. It's about me opening my heart to him. My problems, my issues, my cares, I literally go over my schedule with him, as I did this morning. And, you know, I call him Papa, so I'm like, hey, I got four seminars, I got this, I got da-da-da-da-da, I need to call my kids, you know, I miss them, whatever, whatever. So that's my devotional time, is me devoting myself to him. But when it's time for me to study the Bible, that's a different experience for me. I use all of them. Every method that we're going to talk about, I use them. And... I like to stick with a passage for a long period of time. So I've been studying Genesis 1 for 20 years. Can, con can confirm. Can confirm. I could literally preach over 60 sermons on Genesis 1. And I use all the methods, and I keep going back over them again because the Bible is literally inexhaustible. But my approach is that way because I believe that if the Bible is what it claims to be, what you thought you got out of it, we're talking about an infinite mind. It's deeper than what you think. And Ellen White says, the more you study the Bible, it deepens and broadens beneath your gaze. So why is the Bible surface to you? Because you don't look at it often. That's the principle. So for me, I use all the methods, but I separate it from my devotion. Because if you try to do all of that for your devotions, I mean... <laughs> They'd be like, you got to go to work. <laughs> so, so, yeah, for me, the answer is yes. I use them in conjunction, but I separate that type of Bible study approach from my devotional experience. And that's our time. Do you all stand with us as we pray together? <laughs> all right, let us pray. Precious Lord, Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for giving us the book of Daniel, a master class in faithfulness. God, while Daniel sat in the gate of the king, his three friends remained standing while everyone else bowed under the sound of Babylonian music before a man's, a king's perverted understanding of your revelation. 
Lord, we want to be those types of people that are faithful even when everyone's watching. Even when we know it's going to cost us something socially. They may not see us again the same. They may not continue to be our friends, but Lord, it is preparation for the times that are coming in the future. So Lord, we just pray that the spirit that was in Daniel, you would give us that same spirit. The spirit that was in his friends, may you give us that spirit. And Lord, above all, continue to give us love and interest in the Bible. Help us to love to study the book that testifies of Jesus. Is our prayer. This message was recorded in partnership with Audioverse, the GYC conference, but if not, in Portland, Oregon. GYC is a supportive ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.